Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. All right, welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is Nasser Pasha. And this is Matt Staub. And welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twists and also answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send in at ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. And we're ready to go. Yeah, I hope we make this a good one. The Wednesday episodes seem to be the most popular one. So Yeah, it's the hump of the week and the top of the week, I think, for us. Don't screw up, Nasser. <laughs> I know. I It's a lot of pressure now. Great. All right. So let's get into the story we have for today. And so I've heard of this, and it has to deal with this game, 2048, which I'd heard of, but I never played. I actually downloaded it yesterday. Really? Okay just to see what it was and played it a couple times. I get the gist of it. I can get how it'd be addicting. I try not to do any of these games just because I don't want to get sucked in. I agree. I've played it and I admit that I actually have played it quite a bit. I'm not much of a mobile app gamer, I would consider myself. But for whatever reason, I heard other people playing it. So I took a look and I like puzzle games. So I got sucked in, I suppose. I'm surprised you've played because anyone that listens to this podcast knows that your math skills aren't always 100%. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. That's a low blow. That is a low blow. I was a computer science major. It was, math was important at that time. But anyway, yeah. my AP Calc teacher is going to be upset at that comment from high school. I was just joking. Okay. So what we're dealing with here to the underlying story is the intellectual property behind these games and more importantly, I guess, the infringement thereof. But I guess it, for we're dealing with, with mobile games or I think they talk about board games as well. Not everything you think would be able to be protected is protected. They mention how the protection is of the expression of an idea, but you can't protect the idea itself. Yeah. And if you notice, these 2048 games are like everywhere. And apparently it's some kind of version of some game called Threes. And I think everyone knows that. Well, I never played it, but that game Flappy Bird, which became really popular, but then went off the market and then everyone put clones up. And the reason is basically there was no patent on that idea. And there's maybe copyright as far as the graphics go and so forth, but there's limitations on that. But I wanted to get Jesse from Thrust. They have a pretty cool mobile app development company and kind of want to get their perspective. I'm sure this issue has been brought up in their development as well. Jesse, how are you doing? Uh, doing great. Thanks for having me. Very good. So you kind of heard about what's going on with 2048. You've seen all these clones and, and it's weird. If you go to, I use an Android, if you go to the top 10 mobile apps that are free downloads or whatever. I think three of them are 2048 variations. So I don't know if you ever had any experience with these kinds of uh, issues dealing with your development. Yeah, we come across this kind of stuff all the time. And as developers, we get frustrated when people copy our ideas. I've been involved in these kinds of discussions from the gaming gambling days, early 2000s, to uh, the Facebook launching of games, and a lot of the games were launched by Zynga and others were pure copycats of other games. So it's pretty standard, and there's court cases where sometimes the little guy wins, but it's, to your point, it's usually when somebody has infringed on some sort of the graphics or branding of the game. You're seeing more of the bigger guys are gobbling up things like uh, the saying words with friends. Uh, None yeah. can use that. But we could use yeah. a game that was asynchronous back and forth. We just would need to call it something different. We deal a lot with startups of people that have great ideas. And before they invest in it, they want to make sure that they can protect it. So we work with folks on 
how you can go about protecting things, and usually it's a combination of four or five different things that would make yours different, that somebody could maybe take one of them, or maybe you're even taking something that uh, you've seen before, but you're making it different. So, yep, it's part of the business for sure. Yeah, no, that's an interesting approach because if you think about it, when you have startup companies, let's say there is some kind of patentable idea. And by the way, games in itself are necessarily traditionally patentable, but there are concepts that you can do that. And I've seen some examples of that. But my point is, is that if you have a startup company and you have an idea, because once you publish it to the world, you have like a year to go basically to file that patent. So how is a startup going to afford 10 grand or whatever, how much it's going to cost in order to do that? when they don't even know whether their game's going to be successful. I I would assume, Jesse, that the success rate for these apps percentage-wise are pretty low. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The budgets range anywhere from 25000 to get a decent experience out there to a quarter of a million dollars. But if you look at the legal fee of, say, $10,000, you are not going to spend half your budget on that. We're dealing with this with a a client of ours came to us. He wrote his idea on a napkin to me was, I want to combine Scrabble and poker. And didn't have a huge budget. And, uh, but hold on, let me let me write that idea down. I'm going to steal that. Scrabble and poker. What's interesting is we came up with four ideas, and we could have gone either way. And we ended up going with one, and we just released it to the App Store, I guess, maybe three weeks ago, and it's crossed 100,000 downloads. It's called Words and Cards. But yeah, we have the mechanics of that game kind of patent pending, and we're making sure that it's something that we want to move forward with. But then, like I said, there's also three other versions of this that may be patentable crossing our T's and dotting our I's in case this thing does take off that we can protect ourselves. So Jesse, when someone comes to you with a new idea like the one you just described or, or something else, is there a process you go through to kind of see, you know, what can we, is there something you look at and see, you know, we can protect this, we can protect that? What kind of goes through your mind when someone comes to you and with a new idea? How, what's the best way to protect their idea from having it be copied by other people? Yeah, so first we call it a discovery. We go through, you know, even just looking at what's out in the marketplace because we want to make sure if we are doing something similar to something else that we were different enough. So we're protecting ourselves that way. But then it's really about that cart before the horse. We don't look to protect anything because we have to come up with something great. So yeah. for that game and Scrabble Meets Poker, yeah. it, was a, it was a lot of paper prototyping and we wanted to make sure that this was going to be a fun game. And you don't know, it may be fun to play on a tabletop, but it may not translate to a phone. But once you get to a point where you're doing a, what we would call a minimum viable product, it probably doesn't look good, but you know, you start to get a feel of those game mechanics. Then we'll know like, hey, we're on to something. This is the right direction. And then we'll start to frame up what a lawyer might need to do proper due diligence and seeing if nobody's thought of this and, and if they haven't, how we might position it. I think your best bet is trademarks and copyrights are pretty inexpensive in the beginning. And so you have to decide pretty quickly if your game's going to be worth patenting and it's patentable pretty soon. And let me ask you this, Jesse, how long does it usually take to determine whether or not it's a successful game or not after it's been released in the marketplace? (laughs) I absolutely do not know the answer to that question. I mean, there are trains of thought that these games are overnight successes. Everybody thinks Angry Birds is an overnight success. Angry Birds was a six-year thing where he was mortgaging his home, dad mortgaged his home, and eventually it hit it big. So I'm not a fan of if you put it out and it doesn't get immediately picked up, that you should abandon it. I think you have to get things out there, get early adopters, listen to what your customers want, and and try to be nimble enough. Now, 
there are games that may become a fun game to play, but you may not be able to monetize it. Therefore, it may not be an ongoing business concern, and, and we, we've had to make those kinds of hard decisions. But that's why, you know, it's one of those cart before the horse, too. If, you, if you're totally thinking about monetization and how this is going to be a business versus is this going to be a fun game, you can dilute that game. At the same time, you can really shoot yourself in the foot if you don't think about that before you release something. So there are definitely challenges, and there's no silver bullet. Yeah, wise words, I think. That's good insight. In my opinion, I don't care how long I spend time on it. If it's not a success after one day, I'd probably just quit. That's just my advice. Yeah. All right, let's get to our question of the day, Matt. My partners and I have been developing an online software and a mobile app, but we are wondering if we should split the mobile aspect of our business into a separate LLC since not everyone is developing that and the app could stand on its own. Is that advisable? This is uh, from Dallas, Texas. Okay, so this is interesting because I would split it up into two companies just for the mere fact that you have different people involved in different projects, but at the same time, they're going to be related. So I would assume you're going to have maybe some contractual relationships, whether it's through a licensing agreement or whatever. And that brings another point in the sense that you may even want to separate your intellectual property from that entity and maybe even have three entities, for example, because I assume, like I said, I have a tech background, but I assume there's going to be some crossover from the online software to the mobile app, even if they're both standalone. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. I think that's kind of the smart way to approach it, the legally smart way to approach it. Um, <laughs> not to get into the name, but yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. You kind of just stole my thought. Uh, that's what I do, you know. Good thing I uh, filed for protection on it, so you just infringed <laughs> on it. Ah, oh, crap. Look at Jesse's opinion. Uh, I mean, Jesse, I'm sure some of your mobile apps that are developed aren't just a mobile app. Sometimes they have a online browser version or through some other console. Do you have any kind of thoughts or experience on that? Yeah, so that's why you guys bring folks on like me. I disagree 100% with what you guys said. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. We'll make it interesting. At the end of the day, there really is a blur of online and mobile. You'll see games that are mobile only. Uh, you'll see games that are Facebook only. They're really struggling. It's the reason why King.com really crushed Zynga is that uh, every Facebook game they launched had a mobile Mm, good point. And we had a client that had a musical identification game, really well polished. And then Song Pop came out of nowhere. Song Pop launched on Facebook and drove people to mobile. There was a whole distribution strategy and monetization strategy of why they did that, but uh, they crushed our client that was mobile only. So at the end of the day, I'm a big fan of separating things based on demand or based on maybe what that exit might be. And so to your point, that IP would live on the web and mobile. And so keeping that separate from, say, that underlying technology would allow you to, you know, I could license my technology to somebody else that wanted to create a different skinned version. But the code that I need to support a mobile and a web app the underlying state of server technology, that's all going to be the same. The cloud may have two different clients. So it doesn't make any sense to separate it, the mobile game and the online game. They're the same game, but you might be able to separate, say, this IP, uh, this brand uh, versus this underlying technology because somebody may want that technology and not your brand or vice versa. So keeping those separate can sometimes be valuable. Okay, that's a great position. Here's the counter argument is that I think the main concern is that when you have, like you mentioned King and so forth, and you have all these different versions, whether it's Facebook browser and mobile app variations, that's all part of the same distribution. 
the trouble with splitting it up is then you have different kinds of thought and control over this one particular app or game. One of the benefits, though, of splitting this up is that you can still maintain the same kind of control through management agreements, uh, shareholder agreements, etc., or even doing a series LLC where you take the same LLC and divide it into parts. And you know that's a little bit beyond our conversation, but still able to have different ownership structures based upon the different successes. Because, and I'm only going based upon the person's question in the sense that it may not be a, a game itself, but I, I would agree with you that. King.com is a great example of how they leveraged these multi-platforms. So I think if you were coming to me, I'd be like, yeah, let's just keep it in the same company. But if another client was like, okay, well, we have three or four different people and we basically have two teams and we want to find a way to divide the ownership structure or the equity structure or the and that so forth, then I might be able to find a, a better solution for them. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I would say that in this day and age, you said there might be two teams. If there were two teams, I would say that that uh, might make sense. I would also say if there's two teams that they're not leveraging what they should be and that there's an economy of scale there that they're not taking advantage of. Yeah, that's true. They need to be working together, right? Yeah, the tools that we use, we develop on one platform and we push to those platforms. We use Unity, I would say, in 80% of the games that we develop on and we can support mobile with that same code. We can support web. We can support console. And so, yeah, you'll make tweaks to it, but it's the same code base. So I would say in that kind of situation, you would really be making it a lot carrier than it needs to be. Very cool. All right, Matt, you were silent in our little discussion there, but I think we covered that question pretty well. Yeah, well, I've just been developing my own idea. <laughs> Going back to the article, it's based on shoots and ladders. It's called Lawsuits and Ladders. That's a new <laughs> game that I just came up with for attorneys in the legal okay. world. So just throwing that out there. Let's throw it out there. As long as it doesn't look like sheets and ladders, I think you're totally legit. Nice. Okay, we'll have a conversation Good. afterwards. We'll talk about that. But we'll cut Matt out. I'll just take that idea. It's fine. Jesse, thank you for joining us. Do you mind telling us a little bit about your background as far as what your company does and just kind of give a little bit about you know what you do so that people can uh, tune in? And we'll put your website on the show notes, et cetera, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we started 10 years ago. We actually started in the gambling gaming space. So I was competing against King.com back then. Uh, we were doing games of skill like backgammon and dominoes for money, competing against poker rooms and, and hosted in Costa Rica. And so it was an exciting time. And then the laws changed in 06, and we found ourselves in the virtual world space and same kind of technology, browser-based, massive multiplayer experiences. We built five huge virtual worlds, the largest being barbiegirls.com for Mattel. We had 6 million signups in the first five months and found our way into 3D and mobile game development and 2009. And so we make games for Mattel and the Mercedes and the NCAA and, and even, you know, guys in their garage or guys that have never released games before. And so uh, it's super exciting. No project is the same. And that's a challenge from how you put together a team. But we're a 12-person studio and been together 10 years and we've released, I think we counted sometime last year, it was over 150 games that we've released over that time. So we're uh, we're always looking for a new challenge of somebody saying, hey, I want to do a game that does this, or I want to do something that would reach this audience. What platform should I be on? So we like when people come to us with problems and we get to come up with what that interactive or gaming solution might look like. Very cool. I appreciate it. That's impressive. Uh, so Jesse from Thrust, and uh, thank you for joining us. Hey, you bet, guys. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thanks, Jesse. You bet. All right, guys. Well, that's our podcast for the episode, or that's our episode for the podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, almost had it. Almost had it. Almost edited smoothly. Of course, I had to mess it up. But uh, thanks for joining us. Yep. Keep it sound and keep it smart. 
This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.